occasionally throw stuff into a lesson, and it's funny, the Christians will say, they'll come up after, it's like, hey, I caught that story, or you told them actually Cato's story. They know what I'm doing. Others just going out the door. Uh, so it's sort of like here, I get everybody on the same level. So we're all of... So Max Licato, uh, I gave you the story of Max Licato. I write, uh, remember reading this book. He said, Captain John Blanchard rose from the bench at the Grand Central Station, and he was looking for a person that he had never met, but yet was very fond of. And so John Blanchard was going through a crowd looking for someone that he had never laid eyes on. Pause the story there and go back and I'll tell you how it all began. John Blanchard was a soldier. He's getting ready to be shipped out overseas, but he's home on leave for a little while. And he lived in Florida and he goes to the library and he's pulling out books, glancing at them, and he pulls out a book. And that was back when people could donate books to the local library. And so he pulled out this light blue colored book and he opened it up. And he was intrigued not by the printed word, but by the written words inside. Somebody had made notes in the margin. And he began to read that and thought, wow, this is a neat person. And the more he read, he was like, wow, she must have a kind heart. She's sensitive to things. So he went up and he asked the librarian, he said, I know it's a crazy request, but can I have this book? And she says, well, since somebody donated to the library, we'll donate it to you. You know, we know you. He said, can I ask you another crazy request? Can you tell me who donated it? It's like, well, if there anybody else, I don't know if we would, but you, uh, Hollis Maynell is the girl who gave us that, young lady that gave us that book. Hollis Maynell. Can I get her address? Wow, you're asking a lot. Sure, since we know you, that'd be fine. So he was shipped out, goes overseas, writes her a note and says, thank you for the book that you donated to the library. I now read it, and it means a lot to me. As a matter of fact, your words of encouragement and the sensitive nature of these uh, words that you've written down, jotted in the margin, I can tell a lot about you. So thank you for being who you are. She writes back, and the next thing you know, a friendship is starting to occur between two people who have never laid eyes on each other. And now it gets a little bit better, and he seems to like her. But he's cautious, careful, but hey, this could might be somebody I'd like to spend more time with. So he uh, goes to his tour, comes time to come home, uh, but he says, oh, I've still got a month or so over here, so I will, hmm. He wonders, what does she look like? So he writes a letter and says, could you send me a picture? She writes back and says, well, if you like me, it doesn't matter what I look like. Hmm. Would you all agree with that? Some of you say, nah, i got to know what she looks like. You'd been disappointed in him because she's not going to tell you. So she writes back and tells him that. And he agrees. And, yep, you're right. You're the kind of person that I see in these words. So I want to take you to dinner when I return to the States. And she said, that's fine. So he stands up. Now we go back to Grand Central Station. Gets up the bench, tightens the tie, and he's walking through a crowd. By the way... You would have never known her had he not had this little tidbit of information. She, When she wrote him, she said, in a crowd like this, you'll never see me unless you know. I'm going to put a rose in my lapel right here so you'll recognize me. And so he's looking for a girl with a rose in her lapel that he's never met, and yet he, he's very fond of.
She's looking for the rose. So as he walks through a crowd of see a humanity here, lots of people, he doesn't see any rose for a while. And he begins to wonder, I guess she's here. Maybe I messed up or keeps looking and looking as he's and finally he sees through the crowd this woman who's a lot older than he thought of, but anyway, he sees her through the crowd and she's this tall and she's got thick ankles thrust into shoes and got her hair almost like in a little bun like hmm, almost reminds me of the way grandma would do and but she's got that rose in her lapel. He's thinking Okay, if that's what she looks like, it's just sort of surprising, but uh, so he's got a good thirty or forty yards to get there and he but he spots it, yep, that has to be her, so he begins to go through the crowd keeping his eye on the rose. About halfway there, this tall blonde goes by, pale green suit, light blue eyes, beautiful, and goes past him and she said, Are you going my way, soldier? And he probably thinks, I could be. I mean, but he doesn't do that. He says, no, ma no ma'am. And keeps right on walking, sort of choking back a disappointment because that was a beautiful woman, but no. I've got to go meet Hollis May now. She's the one that's got me through for the last few weeks and months and months. And I've got to go speak to her. And so he finally battles his way through the last bit of the crowd, gets up, and as he gets closer to her, he finally puts out his hand and he says, my name is Captain John Blanchard. I'm the one that's been writing you for months and months, and obviously I've got your letters with me, and they have meant the world to me. You've encouraged me. You're tender-hearted, sensitive, and I so much appreciate that. They've made the difference in my life. And you must be Hollis Maynell, and I want to take you to dinner and show you my appreciation for all of what you've done for me. And she looks at him with a puzzled look on her face and says... I'm not sure what this is all about because I'm not Hollis Maynell. I had some woman ask me to wear this rose in my lapel and she said it was a test to see whether you would come over and talk to me. And if you would have never came over and talked to me, I guess it would have all been over and you would have never met her. Or if you were to ask me out to dinner, she told me to tell you she's sitting in a restaurant across the road and she's waiting there for you for you to buy her dinner. He says, I'm not sure I understand either. So you're not Hollis me now? And she says, no, I'm not. The woman asked me to wear this rose. By the way, but you may have seen her. Did you see a tall blonde go by you with pale green suit and light blue eyes. That's Hollis Maynell. She's the one sitting across the street. Wow. John Blanchard would go over and meet Hollis Maynell and she would later tell him, you see, I thought I'd give you a test to see if your head would get turned by a pretty woman as she walked by. And I thought if anybody who's good looking can turn your head, then maybe your head will get turned again when you see somebody beautiful. But if you were to stay faithful to your word and come meet me and want to take me out to dinner, and I had that person who would probably be an unlikely Hollis Maynell to you, but I thought I'd pick her, but you passed the test. Here's the point of that story. There's a lot of tests that come at us, but it's always right to do what's right. Hmm. Say that with me. 
it's always right to do what's right. Because you see, what if my wife would give me a test like that? What if she asked and she hasn't, and I don't think she would, but just think if I went in a restaurant and some beautiful woman come up and said, hey, you're good looking. I think, first of all, you need glasses, but go ahead. I mean, it's okay. Uh, I just think you're really good looking. Well, my wife would think the same thing. Who are you? Oh, Billy Graham said whenever he sat down on an airplane with a beautiful woman beside him, he quickly, within the first few minutes, told her that he was a pastor and told her that he was married because he said, I better get it out quickly like that and let it go because as you get closer and talking to people, it's harder to bring up those things. Do you ever find that true if you meet somebody new at school and if you say, hey, I'm a Christian, I go to church, and I just thought I'd tell you that, and people probably think, wow. But if you don't, and then you get to know them and know them, you start to do this. It's not as easy. Well, I started to tell them I was a Christian, but I don't know if I will. And Well, they might think I'm dumb. And then you never do tell them. The little boy who went to camp, he said, Mom, I'm worried about people making fun of me for being a Christian because it wasn't a Christian camp. And she says, well, I'm sure it'll be okay. No, they're probably going to make fun of me. I just don't know. And a week later, he comes back home and he told his mom, Mom, she said, how was camp? He said, great. They never made fun of me for being a Christian. She said, that's great. He said, yeah, I never told them. You don't ever get made fun of being a Christian if you don't ever let people know you are. But pretty soon, that person, instead of you influencing them, they'll influence you. And pretty soon, you might actually start pretending. You'll start, yeah, I'm like this or like that. And, and you don't let them know the real truth. <clears throat> In other words, you uh, are putting on an act. Let me check out my chapel message for today. theme for the camp this week is eight seconds. Let's say our prayer that lasts approximately that. God, you are good. I need help. Others need help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm just giving you that prayer because you can say it from the heart and it can mean something. Let me ask you this question. What would you call a person who pretended to be someone else? Y'all give me a few names? How about this one? Well, let's see, an imposter. So see, I could talk to my friends and I never tell them I'm a Christian, but I'm an imposter. And they like, well, why didn't you tell me you go to church? Well, I just... Of course, there's two ways to be an imposter. We just don't tell them I'm a Christian and we pretend to be cool so we can fit into their group. And you got other people that come to church and they pretend they're a Christian and they pretend they're right in there and they're not at all. I call those kind of people chameleons. They just blend in with whoever they're with. If they're with a group that's trying to quote a Bible verse, yeah, I'm a church, yeah, this is cool. They're the same one who will cuss you out in the gym later because uh, they fit in with that crowd. Imposter, maybe a fake. It's like you're not who you say you are. Most people don't like it. Maybe even a hypocrite. You say one thing but do another. They had an idea of this years ago, and I guess they meant well by it, but the people that wanted to be a cowboy and ride eight seconds and all that stuff, they couldn't really go out there on the rodeo circuit because they'd probably get killed. So they ended up making these things called dude ranches. And they would go to a dude ranch, and for the week or weekend, they'd be a cowboy. Yeah, put on the cowboy hat. But really what they knew about being a cowboy, they, they didn't know anything about being a cowboy. It would be no different than me to going down to Richard Petty's driving school and he let Richard lives in Randall, North Carolina. 
and they soon put a, put a few things together to where you could get in a racetrack and a race car and go around a racetrack and sort of be a NASCAR guy. I wonder how many cars they've wrecked doing that. So people that think they're Jeff Gordon or Little E or whoever, Kyle Busch, and they're going down there and jumping a car and twist it, and they're going about 100. Kyle Busch and him go 190. Anyway, you go about 100 and think you're a weekend warrior there, and you about total the car against the wall. So you're an imposter. You're a fake. But I watch, well, watching it and being, it's a whole different thing. So just because you go to a dude ranch doesn't make you a cowboy. So let me ask you this. There's a movie called The Wizard of Oz. And in The Wizard of Oz, there's a man who pretends to be all-knowing. Wow, all-knowing. It's like taking the place of God. You're all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipotent. That's what God's called. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. And this man thinks he can do anything. And so they go to see him and it ends up in the movie. They walk up behind him and realize you're a fake. You're an imposter. You're a hypocrite. You tell us to do stuff and if it was up to him, he would just want to take that curtain and yank it back and cover up and not let anybody see who he really is. But they've found him out now and now he has to go. And he really tells Dorothy something like this. You really don't need me. You've already got in you the power to do what you need to be doing. Hmm. So I want us to quit being a hypocrite and a pretender and an imposter. And I want to show you a group in the Bible that had that down to a perfect art. <clears throat> These guys had to remove the mask. Find in your book, the book of books. Find in your Bible, the first gospel, it's called Matthew. Jesus would talk to some people sometimes called Pharisees. He also talked to some people called Sadducees. And He would talk to teachers of the law. And I'm going to give you just a quick thought, and you might, you know, don't debate me, please, but in the way it's like, well, I really thought they were this and that. But it, no, I'm just trying to give you a simple definition. The Pharisees were religious leaders, but they were sort of tied in. It would almost be like, sort of like the government, too. I mean, the church ran, had a lot of power. As a matter of fact, when Jesus died, the Pharisees greatly influenced those in the government to say, let go ahead and kill him, and King, you know, let me wash my hands of the whole thing. Herod didn't want anything to do with this, and they kept putting pressure on him. Finally, he gave him to him. Yeah, go ahead. So these guys had a lot of power. The Pharisees were sort of like that ruling group. I don't. They didn't know God though. They were imposters, pretenders, or fake, and yet they were religious. They also had a group of people called the Sadducees. Now, Sadducees were sort of mixed up a little bit in their doctrine. They did believe, said they did in God, but they never believed in a everlasting life or eternal life. In other words, when you die here, it was over. They did not believe in, in essence in eternity. That's why they were sad, you see. So the Sadducees did not believe in a heaven or hell. The Pharisees just thought, here's them in a nutshell. If I do really good, I'm going to go to heaven one day. So they thought they got to heaven by what? By works. So it was sort of like this. They thought, here's a set of scales, and one day I'm going to stand before God, and here's my good works, and here's my bad works, and we're going to put them all together, and let's see, hey, good works outweigh the bad, you're going to heaven. It's not true at all. 
I could be a murderer, a rapist, a drug dealer. I could do everything else and get ready to die. I'm on deathbed and someone come in and share Jesus with me and I ask Jesus to forgive me and save me and He comes into my heart and He does and I die. Well, I've done a lot of tragedy and horrible things in my life, but I ask Jesus to save me. I'm going to go to heaven. Some people say, that's not very fair. It's called grace and mercy. Matter of fact, when Jesus died in between those two thieves, remember one of them didn't believe, the other one did, He said, he hollered at the other thief to say, we're getting what we deserve. He admitted he's a sinner. This man's innocent though. He doesn't deserve this. He's an innocent man dying for what all we've done. So he just now, I believe he, he is the Son of God. As a matter of fact, he looks and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your what? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's the kingdom of what? Kingdom of light. He just now showed that he believes he's son of God. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know what Jesus said? You got it. That's giving you a simple way. So that man just now got saved. Well, he doesn't deserve heaven. He's a thief. He's a, he's a murderer. He's, he's horrible. It's called mercy. But you see, that guy was honest with Jesus. This group of people up here, they're not honest. They're just going to keep their works going. Matthew. Let me give you a couple things. Turn to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. If I got to going really fast on a horse, some of you did the other day, you might say this word, whoa, W-H-O-A, but you'd say whoa, and you're trying to get him to stop. Well, I just say that as a pun, but in chapter 23 of Matthew, you got seven woes. So I'm going to whoa and just... Glance at him to show you who he's talking to. He's talking to the Pharisees. Chapter 23 of Matthew, first gospel, 23rd chapter, verse 1. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, there they are, sit in Moses' seat. In other words, they sit as a judge over everybody else. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you. He told his Crowd, told the crowd and his disciples, try to get along with these guys and do what they say, but watch this. But do not do what they <clears throat> do. For they do not practice what they preach. What would you call that kind of person? He's a hypocrite. They say one thing to another. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders. That's a way of picturing this. They make you do a lot of stuff, but they don't want to do anything. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Next thing, well, why do they do all what they do? Keep reading, you'll find out. Verse 5, everything they do is done for men to see. They're a show-off. They're a pretender. They're an imposter. They would want you to think, I'm on a church committee. I'm in the church choir. And I do all... But you don't know Jesus. They make their... It's a big word. I don't know about you. I'm reading from NIV. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels of their prayer shawls long. Just in case, you're going to learn that word right there. Uh, I looked that up to make sure. A phylactrophy, picture a little box about like this. Anybody in Awana? Have you ever heard of Awana before? It's a Bible club. Yeah. Uh, we used to memorize verses in Awana, get kids to memorize verses. And just think that we would have a little leather pouch and sometimes you could put verses in there and you could keep them in your pocket. Well, these guys, they have these little boxes. And when they memorize Scripture, they'd put them in the box, close it, and it would be on a long string, and they could wear them. Picture sort of like a graduation cap, something like that. And these long strings would come down with this, 
And then they'd take the prayer shawls. Imagine if you got a shawl for how well you prayed. Well, these guys would have a big wide thing like this to say, so they were walking down through there with these little boxes of phylacteries containing the things, scriptures that they'd memorized. So they were showing off, really. Look how much scripture I know. Look how much I pray. Look at me. Well, the disciples didn't wear the little boxes. And they didn't have a long prayer shawl. And matter of fact, they even came to Jesus and we learned this our first night. They said, Jesus, teach us to pray. We're not even sure we know how. Disciples knew Jesus still wanted to learn how to pray better. Pharisees act like they've got it all together. And here's what Jesus says to these people. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have men call them rabbi. They like to get attention. But you cannot, but you are not to be called rabbi for you have only one master and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth father for you have one father and he's in heaven. Verse 13 says, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Verse 15, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Verse 16, Woe to you blind guides. Verse 23, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Verse 25, 27, and 29 all say the same thing. If somebody repeats himself and this is Jesus that much, I think he's trying to make a point. So here are some verses in Luke to match that. Jesus is calling these guys hypocrites. You're a pretender. So now, in Luke, you don't have to look it up, keep your place in Matthew. Luke chapter 12. He was talking to the disciples and He said, Beware of hypocrisy. That means you're a hypocrite. You're putting on an act. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered, we can't even count them, so that they trampled one another. It's just like a big picture of a rock concert where there's thousands and thousands of people. The Who, a rock group years ago, had a concert. They had the gates up and wouldn't let people in. They dropped the gates and they charged in and they charged in so quickly they trampled a couple people to death getting into the stadium. They said, we can't stop the concert. If we tell people that a couple people have just lost their lives, uh, it's already about like we've got a ride on our hand. So, I mean, it's huge. Well, we've got so many people here, they're trampling one another. This is like a wild atmosphere. And what Jesus says, He began to say to the disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And you say, leaven? I don't understand. Hang on. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed. One of these days, Pharisees, people will see you who you are. You're going to be the wizard sitting there trying to do things, and suddenly the curtain comes away, and they're going to see who you are. It's nor hidden that will be known. Verse 3, Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. If I had a film or if I had a tape recorder and I could say what you've spoken in at certain times, would you want me to play it right now? See, that's the thing that I'm getting to. If Jesus would look at me and say, let me play what your thoughts were. Oh, some of us probably wouldn't like that. Pharisees, one of these days, your thoughts will be known. Your words are going to ring not true. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark, well, I'm close to God, you don't even know God. You say, boy, Jesus was tough on this. He was. In another section of Scripture, he said, bottom line, let's talk about Father God and the Pharisees. Oh, we know God's our Father. And Jesus said, your Father is the what? The devil. They didn't like it too well. He said, because if you knew Jacob, if you knew Abraham, and 
all those, you'd know me. Well, we don't know you, then you don't know them. Wow. He's just putting them in their place. Matter of fact, the disciples pulled him aside. Jesus, I think you offended them. Probably did. <laughs> but I had to tell them the truth because the voice of truth has to be there. These guys don't have to speak truth. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you've spoken in the ear, in the inner rooms, that's what it reminds me of telling a little secret to someone will be proclaimed on the housetops. So, let's check out what leaven is. If I want to give you a quick definition, here we go. Beware of hypocrisy. First of all, what is leaven? It's something used in the making of bread. It's a substance, typically yeast. Some of y'all, grandmother, mom, whatever, take yeast, put it in the bread, it helps it to rise. That is added to the dough to make it literally, if it ferments and then it rises. So what he was saying, the disciples are like leaven. Leaven makes bread what? Puff up. He said, disciples, I want to show you Pharisees. Look at them. And the disciples are gaining around like, okay. He said, look at the Pharisees. They're all puffed up. They all want to make themselves look good. But they're fake. How do you understand why? Now you understand why Jesus said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Don't pretend like you're somebody else and act all puffed up. If somebody comes in to me and says, I tell you what, you're going to get on this helicopter up at Quantico. Yeah! All right. I love this. And they put me on the helicopter, and a guy comes back and says, I tell you what, uh, have you ever flown a helicopter? Well, well yeah! Yeah, I have! So you know a lot about helicopters? Yeah. Tell you what. We're parachuting out. Why don't you fly this thing back for us? Well, see, then the truth would come out and I can't fly a helicopter. You've told us you can. So one of these days they're going to look at the Pharisees. Pharisees, you know about God? Well, yeah. Tell me about his son Jesus. We don't know Jesus. There's no on earth, no way on earth that you could ever know salvation. Acts 4.12, there's a name given under heaven. There's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved, and that's the name of Jesus. These guys don't know Jesus, and yet they claim to be godly. There's no way. So how do you, now do you understand? Jesus was saying the Pharisees are pretending to be something that they're not. So here's what He would like them to do. Consider this verse in the Old Testament and reminds of those who pretend. And the Lord said in Isaiah 20:13, Because this people draws near with their mouth and honors Me with their lips, but their hearts are far from Me. In other words, they could talk the talk, but they can't walk the walk. They say things, but they don't really back them up. I can dunk a basketball. Here's a basketball, you show me. Well, I just don't want to. Yeah, you can say that you can, but you can't really do it. Pharisees, yeah, we know all about God. Well, here's your son Jesus, we don't know him. Then you don't know God. Well, look, we got long phylacteries and we got tassels. I mean, don't we look the part? You may look the part, but what's on the outside is not on the inside. I wonder if that's true of church or camps. We can always act like we know God, but we may not. So here's the last couple things. Jesus reminded the disciples that one day all the pretending will be over. And you'll be called a task. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Next. Jesus also made clear that whether we have something in private, say something in private, or whispered, one day it will be revealed. Therefore, whatever you've spoken in the dark, now I know some of us, me included, I've done things that, uh, I wouldn't want everybody to know what I've done, and you wouldn't either. So if you would say, I've done something, 
And if Jesus was a teacher and say, excuse me, what did you say? We wouldn't want to repeat it. Y'all good? Therefore, whatever you've spoken in the dark or whatever you're thinking, God already knows. He can read your mind, knows your heart. Consider this verse from the book of Numbers. Numbers 32, 23. But if you fail to keep your word, then you have sinned against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. One day. So let's close with this story from Kyle Eidelman. Kyle Eidelman, if you've never heard of Kyle, he is um, the guy that wrote a book. And he wanted to get people to quit being a fake. Going to quit putting on an act, so he wrote this book. I'm trying to see if you can guess it. It's a black book, not like this. I don't know if you've ever heard of Kyle Eidelman. Maybe some of you have. He wrote a book that it's almost like, are you real or are you not? Are you a fake? Are you really the genuine article? Are you... And so, anybody remember the book I'm talking about? Yes? It's what? No, but that's that sounds like a good title. Keep on going. Not a fan is his book. Not a fan, which means if somebody says I'm a fan of Jesus, Cal says really that's not a good thing. Well, it sounds good. He said no because fans do this. They will show up on the day of the game and yeah, and they're all screaming. The next day they they're back to normal. He says, Jesus doesn't need fans, He needs followers. So, Not a Fan is a book that reminds us to quit just being a fan on Sunday and then going back the rest of the week. He says, Jesus says, I want followers. Matthew, when he walked up to him, the tax collector, he said, follow me. He didn't say, be a fan of me. You're right. Yeah. No, follow me. Matthew scooted back, left a lucrative business, and followed Jesus. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were in the fishing boats. Pretty much money there. The sons working for the dad, they would probably inherit the business one way. They could be, quote, millionaires in today's society. Jesus comes by and says, follow me. They left their nets and followed him. See, they, they weren't a fan. They were a follower. Well, Kyle Allman writes his book and he tells us about his little girl. They had a white couch in their living room. And his little girl did something. He didn't know it exactly at first. So they were, when they would eat dinner at night, his little girl, you know, if he would point to one of his kids and, you know, you want to take the dishes up, oh, his other little daughter, I'll get it. And she's like, she always, she just wanted to, hey, let me help, let me help. And you can say, boy, you're helping almost more than you normally do. I think she was trying to make up for something. And then for too long, she would just almost sit and, you know, tears run down her face. Now, okay, you've went from being overzealous trying to help to where you feel like you you look like you're guilty. And she finally broke one day and she started crying and she said, Daddy, I've got to quit pretending. I've got to quit hiding. I've got to tell you the truth. And she went in to the white couch in the living room and she took one of the cushions and lifted it up, and there was a big stain on the other side where she'd spill, like, you know, red Kool-Aid or something. And her dad's like, wow, why didn't you tell us? 
Well, she didn't want to disappoint her dad. And so she just flip-flopped the couch and the cushions and made it look like she hid her stains. Hmm. Why did she finally come clean? Because she said I couldn't stand it anymore pretending that I was something I was not. I'm the good little girl. I wasn't. I'd messed up and like Daddy, I need to tell you that I've messed up. But then Kyle was proud of her in the fact she said, can I tell that to people? And so she stood up and at their church and she said, you know, I was hiding my stains for a while and I just felt so good when I finally came clean. And I told my dad, he's forgiven me. Matter of fact, here's what she said to her mom when she first decided to say it. She said, Mom, I didn't want you to know because I was so afraid you would not love me anymore. And her mom and dad like, oh, and come give her a hug. We don't quit loving you because you messed up. We wish you'd have told us, but it's all right. But you have been in misery for the last few weeks hiding what you've done. So you've come clean. How do you feel now? Relieved? How do you feel? Oh, burdens are off. I don't have to lie anymore. don't have to pretend anymore. I finally just told you what I've done. So pray with me. Dear Jesus, in a room of this size, I'm sure that some of us at some times in our lives have hidden a stain or hidden maybe something that we've done that's bad. We just don't want anybody else to know about it, but it's a strange thing, God, you do anyway. We're trying to hide something from God. Adam and Eve started that whole thing off in the book of Genesis. They went and hid from you. At least that's what they thought they were doing. And God, you called them out on it. And so Jesus, you're doing the same thing here years and years later. I pray that you'd speak to a heart in here that's hiding something, that's pretending, that's sort of acting like things are okay when they're not, or that they're okay with you when they may not even know you. Pharisees acted great. They showed people how much they'd learned by their big long tassels and boxes. But Jesus, you called them children of the devil because they just pretended. So Lord, I pray that we'd come clean today and just offer our hearts and say, Jesus, would you forgive us? Would you cleanse us? Would you help us to know that you still love us? You've never quit loving us. We just thought that. The devil tries to tell us that all the time. God doesn't love you. That's a lie. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you for wanting to forgive us. Thank you for wanting to live, walk, and dear a life every day. In Jesus' name, amen.